This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. Matt Perini, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. Game week has arrived. Uh, it's crazy to think about. But nonetheless, we are here. Uh, we are days away from talking about things that happen on an actual football field instead of what we think is going to happen this season. College football has already been played. USC already has a victory. Uh, Hawaii, an opponent Oregon will play. They've already played a game at Vanderbilt. Uh, game week is here, fellas. Uh, I'm seeing depth charts being released. We'll maybe see if we get a depth chart. I don't We'll see if that if Dan is feeling like it's Christmas on August, but uh, we'll, we'll see. But nonetheless, it's Monday, which means it's kicking off our game week schedule. So if you're new here, uh, we do mailbags on Mondays. On Tuesdays, we do a podcast breaking down what we learned from a Monday night conversation with Dan Lanning. On Wednesdays, we try and have someone on to talk about the upcoming game. And then the one tweak that we're going to make this season is no Friday show, but Thursday instead is going to be kind of our game preview look ahead towards the week. So we get two days of prep for that. Um, and I should also remind you guys, if you're curious about supporting this podcast uh, beyond just listening, the best way to do it is go to duckterritory.com and sign up for a membership uh, right now. It's 75% off 20, less than $27. Uh, gets you an entire year's worth of a membership to DuckTerritory.com. You get all of this football season, all of men's and women's basketball season. You get all of baseball coverage. You get recruiting for all sports that run through all of that. Uh, and then you get through all of next summer and all the, the lead up to next year's season as well for literally less than $27. Uh, highly encourage you guys to check it out. We led the network in signups a couple of days ago. So there's a bunch of Duck fans joining the site. Um, I highly encourage you guys to check that out as well. All right, Eric, uh, we got five questions this time. Normally it's four, but we have five this week. It's game week. We got to get more in there. I was doing my Oscar de la Hoya face slaps this morning to wake up because I was so fired up. It's uh, it's game week. Uh, and I, I apologize. We started a little late because I overslept. So but that was also just to make sure I was uh, awake. But yeah, we're doing five. I thought there were enough that kind of fit certain storylines that we th I, I felt were worth touching on. So we're going to expand this a little bit. Um, we'll see what happens next week. Maybe we'll go to six, Matt. Who knows? Who kn we could do as many questions as I want. We, I can I can keep you stranded this is here true. all day. Is yeah, the three the, hour uh, I'm the captain now meme. It is. I'm this gonna, is, yeah. You're going to look in the notes tomorrow, uh, next week, and there'll be 17 questions, and we'll be here for all morning, uh, oh, which is God. okay, because Dan doesn't speak till 640. So we have the whole day. Um, this is true. All right, first one from at uh, DC Whitlatch. I think this is a first-time question asker, so welcome to the show. Uh, reading all the preseason polls and previews, it seems like the Ducks are widely being slept on. I know we have unproven newcomers, but don't we also have the best depth of the entire Pac-12? Why does every reputable site seem to be overlooking that hashtag, Ots and Audibles? I, I thought this was a good place to start, um, in part because we all just posted our season predictions from a record perspective over the weekend. 
Um, and I think our prediction is a bit more optimistic to the point of the question here. Um, Matt and I both have Oregon winning 11 games this regular season. Jared has 10. Um, I have Oregon losing to Washington. Matt has Oregon losing to Utah. Jared has Oregon losing to Utah and USC. So there's kind of just the recap, and we can get into some of that as we go today. But uh, I, I do think that there is certainly more optimism for those that are around the program, certainly more optimism for those that are, I guess, really dialed in to what's going on at Oregon. I think it's easy to kind of why I, my explanation, and I'm, I'm sure you guys may have different ones. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the Oregon finish last season. They lost two games to rivals that are um, perceived at least to be on equal footing and in Washington's case by a lot of people better. Uh, going into the season. And those results, I think, just play a, a huge role in terms of how teams enter uh, the following season, whether that be fair or not. And in this case, I think kind of unfairly, um, you know, the, the narrative I keep seeing is that Oregon kind of got pushed around in those games and certainly against Oregon State in the second half, they admittedly did. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to argue yeah. that. I also think that the Bonix injury isn't really being discussed, which is sort of interesting, and its impact in those two games. And had Oregon won both those games, the perception heading into the season would be much different. And then my, my other one, and the thing that I think is um, probably the biggest part, and it kind of touches on what, what the question asker has here of unproven newcomers. I think in the transfer portal era, a school like Oregon that goes so heavy in the portal guys is always going to always, but at least in these first couple of years, I think until everybody sort of figures this out, it's going to be kind of, um, it, it's going to be, I think, overly crit criticized or just maybe not totally understood is maybe a better way of putting it. Um, I think Oregon has a ton of talent on its defense. I don't think a lot of people know that yet because a lot of people haven't seen this come together. Frankly, we haven't seen this come together. So maybe I'm being overly <laughs> yeah. optimistic myself. But when I break down this defense and the kind of the elements of where they were uh, shortcomings last year, I see and have expectations that those issues will be much improved this year. I don't expect this defense to be as bad as it was in the big games last year. And I also want to acknowledge that against some of the lesser quality teams, the defense was actually pretty good. And that'll kind of lead into some questions later. But I, I, I think mm -hmm. the transfer element of this, and when you look at Oregon's roster and on offense and on defense, it's possible about half of the starters are new transfer players. I think it's hard for people to really get a sense of what that looks like. And so you, I think, are cautiously kind of keeping them at a reasonable arm's length, unless you're like us, where you're following the team more closely, or someone like Josh Pate, who I was, uh, that was the, I think that's the highest I've seen anybody um, yeah. sort of predict from a season. national guy. Yeah. It, yeah, Josh yesterday has I think Oregon fifth in his JP poll, but also in the top in the college football playoff, uh, you know, among the four teams, I think as a three seed. So mm -hmm. there are folks who are high on Oregon. We're not the only ones, but I just think it's hard to get and get a sense unless you're really paying attention to every one of these schools, how how much more they can improve, especially when they're relying on the portal as heavily as Oregon did, where again it went out and added close to twenty players in about half of those guys are probably guys who are going to start this year. So that's kind of where I see it coming from. And I mentioned this sort of logic in the past too, when, when Matt and I were down in Las Vegas talking about the, the preseason all pack 12 um, all conference teams where there wasn't a whole lot of Oregon on there, but you're going, well, it's because half the guys who are going to be starting aren't guys that anybody picking these polls are all that for, or these teams are all that familiar with. So I, I think that's mostly what's behind it. It's, it's that kind of poor end to last season. And then it's the uncertainty with all these portal guys. Yeah, and those Poro guys, I guess, are technically unproven, even though you guys you have guys like Jordan Birch, who did well at South Carolina, and Taishim Johnson, who was really good at Ole Miss, and the same with Evan Williams at Fresno State. And, you know, until they 
basically put the pen to the paper until we see them this Saturday. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, unproven narratives around the team, especially with the transport additions like Eric just ran through and then with the offensive line. And I think we've seen this kind of pop up on social media. Like um, Oregon fans are kind of annoyed that that's like the biggest mark against them is that they have an unproven offensive line. And they really don't. I mean, I guess from a like some of it is from like a defensive or excuse me, not a defensive, but a D1 perspective, like a Johnny Cornelius coming from Rhode Island, like, you know, he's only played a handful of games against power five opponents. Like how will he hold up or, you know, Nishad Strother, who's like competing for a starting job. Another guy who's only had a handful of games against power five conference teams like those guys, I can see like the unproven narrative there, but you know, you have junior Angola who's coming off of an injury, but he played, you know, who's a starter for three years at Texas and one of the best conferences in the country. Like, I think that'll be that that's enough experience. Jackson powers Johnson obviously is this new starting center. Um, if he's able to go, but he's had game reps. He's been playing for three years now at Oregon. Like he start, he played as a true freshman. I don't think he ever started as a true freshman, but he got into a lot of games because Oregon had some injuries in the interior offensive line. So he played then. He played a lot last year. Marcus Harper is a guy who we didn't have any expectations for last season. And then he comes in in the second game of the season, basically starts the rest of the way and does well and doesn't uh, like, like make the offensive line last year any worse. Um, it's kind of the same narrative after the 2019 season where Oregon loses. I think it was four or five starters because they were going to get Panay back, but obviously the COVID yes. season happened, so Panay leaves. It, it was the same narrative then, and Oregon's offensive line, for as weird of a season as that was, was was pretty good. And I think that this year's unit is also really good. I think we've heard you know Josh Pate talk about that, where it's like, yeah, they they need to replace a bunch of guys in the offensive line, but they're they're good replacements. These are talented players. These are good individuals. These are good people on the outside too. Um, so I think that's kind of the narrative as well. There's just a lot of there's a good amount of question marks on this Oregon team. And I don't think there's a lot from the offense other than the offensive line, maybe some tight end stuff, maybe some receiver stuff like because Kentez Johnson replicated success that he had at Troy at this level. Can Trayshawn Holden come in and make an impact when he didn't really make an impact at Alabama? Stuff like that. But yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm high in Oregon. I know ten and two isn't isn't what you guys predicted as eleven and one, but. Um, yeah. I still think that's a really good year. I used to have them winning in Washington. I have them beating Oregon State. I just think Utah is a very tough environment. Um, and USC, honestly, at this point, is just kind of a kind of a toss up in my mind. Like, I don't I, I know we saw USC and people are going to make fun of their defense against San Jose State. And you should because some of those were embarrassing. But they have Caleb Williams. And that's always going to be a plus for USC going into literally any game. Um, and then defensively, I know Oregon has a lot of question marks because of how they ended the season last year, like Eric pointed out. Um, there's a lot of question marks there. And unfortunately for us, we don't we haven't seen them in like any real game scenarios. So the first time we're going to be able to see how they looked and improved is either the spring game, which didn't in, didn't include everybody that they got in the portal. And then this Saturday against Portland State. So then we'll actually get a real chance to see how improved they are, like if they're physical and that, everything like that. But um, I think those are the, the main narratives is just the offensive line has for some reason become this huge giant question mark around Oregon, even though the players they have are talented. And then it's just, can the defense be good? Can the defense be uh, honestly like mediocre? Like, can they just be an average defense? And we'll find out soon, but those are the biggest question marks. I think that the national perspective is putting on Oregon. Also, there's a fact that 
when you have so many good teams, one or two teams mm-hmm. are just going to kind of slip through the cracks of being always mentioned as the elite team. Like the, the league has five teams ranked. And I think you could argue that Oregon, Washington, USC, Utah, those four, very it wouldn't be a shock to anybody's system if any one of those four won the league. And it wouldn't be a shock to any of the system if one of those four teams made the, the, the championship game. And then you throw in Oregon State, and it would be a little bit of a shock, but it'd be like, yeah, but they were a preseason-ranked team. They have a loaded offensive line. They've got a good running back. They finished the year strong. So while maybe we're not thinking that they're going to be the best team in the league going in, like I could see them getting to the conference championship game, and then it's just a you know you just need to win one game. Like it's not out mm-hmm. of the world of possibilities. So naturally, there's going to be a team or two that just isn't talked about as the others. And as Eric said, I think a big reason for this is the way Oregon finished the season. They lost two of three in the regular season and both games, which they should have won. And that's just naturally going to create some doubt. And then like what Jared said, fair or not, because I have an agreement. I think the offensive line's going to be good. They have to replace four starters and it's easy to look at and say, well, they have four starters gone. We don't know anything about these other guys. And my quick 15, 30-minute approach of this team, real quick, that's a concern for me. Um, I think that I think that the bigger concern is the defense. And to Jared's point, they don't need to be elite because I think the offense is going to be so good that they just need to be middle of the road or a little bit better than middle of the road in all categories. And if you see a, a slight increase in production across the board defensively and your offense is as good as it was last year, you're you're going to pick up one of those wins against Oregon State or Washington that you lost and you walk out of the, the situation, the season, with an 11-1 record. I think a 10-2 and record is still going to be really good just because of how good mm-hmm. this league is. Sure. Like, don't, don't be disappointed that Oregon wins 10 games in the regular season and they're not in the conference championship because I, I think, like Jerry said, USC still has Caleb Williams. Uh, their defense may be atrocious, but they have the best player in college football. And it looks like uh, Zachary Branch is going to be a stud. I mean, Matt Leinert was already calling him Reggie Bush 2.0 yesterday on social media. Um, Branch is going to be a stud. We'll get to some questions uh, about Oregon's receiver room down the road on this podcast, but that's the best receiving core in the conference, I think, at USC. And yeah. it, it's it's going to be tough to beat them, even though their defense is so bad. Um, Utah is Utah. Washington's defense is probably a lot like what Oregon's hoping, be a little bit better than they were the previous year because their offense is spectacular. Uh, the league is loaded, so 10-2 and two is still a really good year. I think Eric and I, ironically enough, are, are – I'm probably the more optimistic one than Eric, and we somehow always um, are different a little bit. And today, this year, we have the same record, which is good for one of us and probably bad for the other one. Yeah, if you haven't been longtime listeners, I, this is the best record I've ever predicted yes. for an Oregon season. And I don't know if I've gone – I don't usually even go double digits. I'm usually like a 9-3 and three guy. I think last year I might have gone – I don't remember what I did last year. I think I went 9-3 and three last year too. I think you went 9-3. and three, that's I should what have I did. This, yeah, I think I, I should have this information in front of me, but this is I, this is definitely the most optimistic I've been, and we'll see. Maybe it's just because we've seen so little that we're 
letting our imaginations play games with us. And we're seeing what this, this defense taking all these steps that it won't take. But I think there's like actual reasons to be optimistic. One last thing before we move on to the second question. Uh, Jared Jackson, Paris Johnson had three starts his true freshman season. There we go. But no, none at center started one at right guard, uh, one at left guard, yeah. and then one at defensive tackle. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was that. a tricky, tricky little trivia question there. Uh, cause that uh, is a good, yeah. I'll remember that for when I'm in jeopardy, Oregon jeopardy in six <laughs> years. It's like, where did he start? Um, I had one, I had one more thing as well. Yeah, good. I think the reason the three of us are optimistic is that, you know, Oregon had very clear needs in the transfer portal, especially on the defensive side of the ball and like getting better secondary members and getting a better pass rush. And what they do, they just went out and got the number, I think Evan Williams was the number two safety in the transfer portal, got him, got Jordan Birch, the best edge rusher in the transfer portal, got him, and then solidified that with guys in their recruiting class. I mean, they brought in a ton of secondary members in their recruiting class, talented secondary members is that. And then they brought in a ton of defensive linemen as well, including Mateo Uyunglele, who is one of the best edge rushers in the country in the 2023 class. So I think I'm, I'm, at least I'm optimistic is that they saw a need and then filled the need. And then for linebackers, you know, they did the same thing with Justin Jacobs, like brought in a guy, Connor Soley is a, is a good depth piece. And then moving Jamal Hill, I'm cautiously optimistic about that move just because he was always a bigger safety who maybe struggled a little bit more in pass coverage than against the run. And now you move into the linebacker, you get him to bulk up and suddenly he's a, a, probably an above average uh, pass defender as a linebacker because of his safety background. So that's why I'm optimistic about the defense and we'll get into more of that in just a second here. But I think they, they saw, they saw needs and they went out and filled them. And I don't know if that is like a message that is, I don't know, uh, distributed to the national media members. It's like, Hey, they needed safety help and defensive line help. They went on and got it. And then the, I mean, because the cornerbacks, that's a question mark too, but at least they have some talent there. There's almost too many teams for national folks to be paying attention to to know the ins and outs. Yeah, 100%. Which is why someone like Josh, I think, does such a great job, Josh Pate, um, on Late Kick, with, with I think, covering the bases with everything. And you listen to him talk, you can tell he's done his homework. And maybe we're just being a little biased here by lauding him, but he does have Oregon in the cultural playoff prediction, which is uh, – uh, certainly aligns it's surprising and aligns more with what the folks on this podcast think as well okay next question from at adrian duck 11 if oregon has the same or right about the same defensive output from last season how do you see this season playing out hashtag odds and audibles um we're gonna have a couple questions here focused on defense in a row this one i thought was an interesting one to start with um First, let's go to the baseline of what they were last year, which was fifth in the Pac-12 in scoring defense and fourth in the Pac-12 in total defense, which, by the way, doesn't sound as bad as it felt in the moment. Um, and, in fact, having gone through and done my like off-season rewatch of the season, there were some really good moments defensively, guys. There were some moments that things looked really good. That Utah game where Bo Nix had a bad wheel, that defense played its ass off and played really, really well. Um, that BYU game played really, really well. A lot of the games in between, they played very, very well. The issue was against certain matchups, they played terribly. And those matchups, unfortunately, were against some of the better teams 
um, on the record uh, on the schedule at the end of the season. So mm-hmm. um, if I'm if I'm trying to make a prediction, if they're just if they don't make any improvements, which would be strange because they the personnel is completely different. This is if they're bad this year. I think I said this on I think on this podcast. It's for different reasons than they were bad a year ago because this roster looks so different. But I think like if the defense stays the same. Well, I count Washington and USC's just as losses right off the bat because those are the offenses yeah. that type of offenses that give Oregon trouble, and both of them should be better than they were last year, or if, if not better, the exact same. And those were the two best pass offenses in the entire country last year, um, and those are going to be games where if you can't defend the pass, you're going to lose. So I think they lose those two games if they don't improve on that side of the football. Um, and I think they have a really hard time in Lubbock against Texas Tech if they're mm-hmm. not better. I think they have a hard time, obviously, with Utah, who I acknowledged earlier, even last year's defense did match up pretty well there. So maybe that's a sneaky one. Um, and then I think they have a hard time with Arizona State and Oregon State. I know Arizona State probably feels like a stretch, but just Kenny Dillingham and, and the way he approaches offensive football, um, they might not have a whole lot to play for at that point in the season. But that could be a matchup that's difficult for Oregon just because of how they attack um, defense. And I should probably throw Washington State in there as well, because yeah. last year, Oregon probably shouldn't have beaten Washington State. Um, but found a way to do it, not because of its defense late. So I think that if the defense isn't better, and this is maybe the if we go best case, worst case, we've all kind of gone best case, 10, 11 wins. The defense isn't better. It's probably like a seven or an eight win season potentially. And that's how comp- that's how I think both competitive this league is, but also how small the margin for error might be for a team like Oregon to try to do something special. Like if the defense doesn't take a big step, it's possible that they're – not even really in the conversation for conference championship late in the season. Yeah, if it's the same exact defense in terms of just like pure numbers and what we see on the field, then that USC game is going to be hellacious. Like that's a damn good offense. If you watched against San Jose State, you know, Caleb Williams was great. Um, Matt already mentioned Zachariah Branch. Like those are just dudes who will pick Oregon apart because they're secondary in past situations and the inability to get to the quarterback was really bad last year. And Washington's the same way. Um, you know, rewatching that Washington game, a lot of coaching mistakes in that one. I think that's something that we could have talked about in, in terms of like uh, how team, how Oregon is kind of overlooked. Like I think Dan's going to learn from some of those things and May, it'd probably be very similar in terms of his aggression on fourth down, but maybe not calling the onside kick or like the fake kickoff and the what was that like the second quarter and yeah, just just some silly mistakes. Yeah. Um, but still, if watch, Washington's offense, I think it's going to be very similar to what it was last year. I know they have to replace a couple of starting offensive linemen as well that doesn't get talked about, but. Uh, Michael Penix is still really good. He's got two probably day one wide receivers on the outside and McMillan and a Doonesday. Like that's a good offense and Washington state. I'm glad you brought that one up, Eric, like Cameron Ward, another year in that Washington state system, another year of growth and development. Like, I think he's going to be pretty damn good this year. I don't think Washington state's going to be that great just because, um, you know, they were kind of hit hard by the transfer portal and the NFL draft secretly. Um, but that's still a good offense. That's still a very difficult offense to defend. And then, yeah, Texas Tech and Lubbock, that's going to be a tough matchup because they're a pass-heavy team. Uh, any team that really just relies on their quarterback to throw them into games or sometimes even throw them out of games, like that's going to be a difficult matchup for Oregon if the defense doesn't improve at all. But I'd be shocked because, like Eric mentioned, this is such a completely look different-looking team on the defensive end, especially the secondary. 
if they're not better, it's going to be a bad season. The league is just too good. Mm-hmm. There's, I, I, Jared yeah. ran through some of the teams. Eric did the same. And every one of them, when as I'm sitting here thinking, like, oh, they got a good quarterback, they got a good receiver, or they've got a really good offensive line coming back. Like, if if Oregon is is where they were last season, they will drop two or three games during the regular season. It, it, they won't be good yeah. enough. The the league the league got significantly better on offense this offseason. Oregon included. That has to be said. Like the, the offense will probably win them a game or two because the defense wasn't there, just like they did at Washington State. Um, but you've got to have some kind of marked improvement. You can be what you were last year in some areas, but like pass rush, you've got to be you've got to be improved. If if you're not going to be able to get after the quarterback in 2023 the Oregon defense is going to struggle because the quarterback room is significantly better than it was last year in the Pac-12 it's just you're not going to play perfect every night that's going to happen but the talent that you're facing is better meaning your margin for error is only going to be thinner this season so uh if they don't get any better defensively you're going to you're going to lose games and it's going to be the reason why uh Oregon doesn't comp- compete in the Pac-12 championship game doesn't have a chance for a playoff bid or or a New Year's Six bid, uh, and it'll be the defense if they don't get better. Do we want to do three, or do we want to go break and then come back? I wasn't sure here. Yeah, I, let's just jump into three now that I think about okay. it because it's really tied in with two. So this one's from mm-hmm. at Hack and Cuss. It's a new one. Don't <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, where do you expect the Duck defense to rank among the Pac-12 this season? Um, this is an interesting one to think about, and it requires us to look around the conference and think about how those teams have changed. But I'll run through again where they were a year ago. And again, I guess the other part is like, what stat are we talking about that they rank in? Is it total defense? Is it scoring defense? Is it Do we want to get into like, how are they in sacks and third down defense, which are the areas that really matter probably? I don't know. Um, but just like a baseline, let's start with scoring defense. Oregon was fifth last year um, in the conference, 27 points allowed per game. Not good. Need that to be better. Um, I don't even. You know, I, I feel like I'm probably shouldn't even be uh, acknowledging the ranks in the conference because, like, half the league gave up. Nobody more was than, good last year. He's gonna say half the league gave up more than 30 points, basically, and Colorado gave up 45 points per game, which is good. Uh, melts my brain to look at. I, you know, and then I guess we should say, and then total defense, they were they were fourth, 381 yards per game. But again, throughout the conference, like half the league gave up more than 420 yards per game. So, uh, which, what is, was, uh, which is a lot. Do you have the stats in front of you? Yeah. What was Utah? Utah in was both se- scoring and and total. Utah was second in the Pac-12 with 21.4 points per game allowed, and second in yards per game at 334.1. Oregon State was first in both with like very minuscule differences than Utah. Yeah. Okay. I don't I think. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't think they're jumping Utah. I don't No. Um, Oregon state was third in scoring defense and just behind Oregon in total defense. They could make a leap. They could jump up to that top three, probably in both. Like that would be best case. Um, but again, the hard part with looking at in the conference itself is like, how do we measure the other defenses in this league? Like I expect Utah to be really good on defense because they always are. Oregon State lost some pieces, like just straight up. Like mm-hmm. that defense is not going to be exactly what it was a year ago. Um, 
I expect USC to be a little bit better, but I don't think they're going to be on that upper echelon. So, like, I could see Oregon making a jump from fifth to third in the Pac-12 in a couple of these stats that matter. Um, and then the other, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into it. Let's, let's just, what do you guys think on, on those particular numbers? And if we want to, we can address some of the other stuff that was kind of the, the places where they stubbed their toe last year. Yeah, I think they can, I think it'll be easy for them to stay in the top half of the league. Um, jumping into the top three, I think, could, could be a real possibility uh, just because of the guys that they've added, like we've gone through before. But you know, the other problem with this is that they, their schedule is really difficult. Like they yeah. don't, they sure. don't miss a good offense in this league. Like even like I said earlier, like Washington State, like that's still going to be a good offense. And Colorado, for as terrible as they were last year, like that's not going to be another cupcake on the schedule this year where they can lower their scoring defense because they allow ten points or three points because Colorado stinks. Like they're going to be better. Um, Texas Tech is another team that you know it's going to going to put some points on the board. Like it may not be 45, but you know, if they put up 28, if every team puts up 28, like, yeah, it's, it's a good year. Like I would take that without allowing a team 28 points a game, but uh, that'd be technically worse than it was last year. If they're only average, if they only allowed 27 last year, um, I don't expect Portland state to put up 28, like San Jose state did, but I like, it's just going to be tough. I think the the defensive marks in the Pac-12 are going to look very similar to the to last year because even if teams improve on defense, I think only Utah is like the one team that I'll bet on that's going to be a surefire good defense game in game out. Um, the offenses from the other teams are just going to be too good. That even if you have a good day at the office against USC's t- offense, yeah, I think you're still going to be allowing 35 points a night. Like that's that's the difference. So. I don't expect this to be like SEC defensive numbers, but I think Oregon maintains top half. Um, and I think they have, like from a eyeball perspective, a better defense. But maybe even stats-wise, it might not look as good. But I think that they're going to be like the eyeball test is going to show like they stepped up in bigger moments and they had a better game plan and better schemes and everything like that. But maybe jumping into the top three won't happen. I look at the stats and see, like, okay, Oregon was, like, five or six sacks from being sixth in the league last season. Like, that's that's an attainable number you can get for marked improvement. If, if it translated equally over to this season, which, you know, is not always going to be the case. But, like, the difference wasn't very big last year from being, like, ninth in the league to sixth in the league. Tackles for loss, it was like 14 was the difference from where Oregon was at to sixth place in the league. So, like, to you guys' point, I agree. Like, they could be upper half of the conference in most of these categories. And that's kind of what I was going back to, like, just little improvements. Like, if you can add just two extra Mm -hmm. tackles for loss per game, if you can add one and a half extra sacks per game, your third down conversions – improved by I think it was nine percent of what was the difference between Oregon and UCLA and being you know I think Oregon was eight and UCLA was sixth uh, last season like eight percent better like that that's not a big number that's a jump that you could make and from year one to year two in Dan Lanning's system um so I, that's where I would I would say like hey shoot for everything to you know a majority of the defensive stats from a team perspective be in the upper half and 
two or three, four of those, maybe be in the top three. And then you have one or two or three that are in the bottom half of, of the league, and you, you probably have an improved defense. Um, but to, to Jared's point, like, yeah, I agree. Like, Utah is the only team that I feel 100% confident will be really good defensively. You used to say that about Stanford, but they are a shell of themselves. You can't trust that this season. <laughs> um, you you say that sometimes about California, but I, I don't know. Like, the Bears have so many. They had they had transfers. They had injuries. They've they've kind of started down a downward spiral the last couple of seasons. It feels like um, we'll see what happens there. And then everybody else is kind of all in that that mush of they could be good, they could be average, they could be bad. We don't know. Well, back to Cal. I just Oregon scored forty two points against Cal last year, and I remember after the game, everybody was like really disappointed on the offensive yes. side. Like, I think Bo and Forsyth were like, "That wasn't our standard," and like they won by eighteen points, but it was more like twenty five or, or more than that for most of the game. Uh, I don't think the betters are going to be very good. I actually think they could be right at the bottom, right in that bottom three for sure. Um, oh so yeah, I'm not, no, Bay Area I'm, schools are Bay Area schools are going to be right down there with. Nah. Real bad. Probably Colorado or Arizona State. I would imagine that's kind of your bottom four. ASU for sure. Um, now that ASU doesn't have anything to play for, um, I just had one other thing I wanted to bring up on sacks, which is and I posted this on my Um I was looking through PFF's data on pass rushing, and it was it was kind of interesting because again, Oregon. Nobody here is saying Oregon finished with a lot of sacks because 18 is very very poor when you play 13 games, right? But I was looking through it, and in terms of QB pressures and QB hits, if you combine those into a category, Oregon had more of those than like half the teams ahead of them on, on in terms of the rankings. Like Oregon actually got to the quarterback pretty well; they just didn't finish. Like Oregon actually had Utah finish with uh, twenty-three more sacks, but only had twenty more hurries if you combine hits and uh, and rushes. So. Like Oregon was getting around the passer a fair amount last year. They just didn't finish plays. And I think if you think back to some of those really frustrating, you know, sequences, I, I was watching the Washington State highlights recently, and there were several. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was not always a matter of not. It wasn't always a matter of like they just weren't beating their guy off the line or weren't getting upfield and causing problems. It was they just didn't finish a lot of plays. Um, and then the other problem was that the defense didn't cover very well behind them, and so that pressure, which looks for a moment like it's going to be a sack, ends up becoming a third and 13 conversion where, uh, you know, Michael Penix off one off his back foot is, you know, dropping it over uh, to his tight end or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think those could improve a lot, but we'll see. Again, I think that's the whole kind of the through line here is we have yeah. a lot of optimism. They have changed their personnel, um, but we haven't seen enough to really know, and we'll get a first glimpse of that up on, uh, on Saturday. I think the the nice thing is I don't like to Matt's point like I don't think they have to do a lot to make it significantly better. Like and to your point Eric like there were a lot of moments where you know a guy like Brandon Doris was in the backfield and he just All couldn't the tackle a quarterback and that's reflective in his PFF grade. Like I think his tackling grade's like 35. Like it's just not good. And if he makes 50% of his tackles or maybe 75% of his tackles. Like that's a handful of more sacks. That's a handful of more drive stall. That's a handful of more points that come off the board. And just like what Matt was saying, like, can you get an extra two or three tackles for loss a game? Can you get an extra two sacks a game? Like if they accumulate all those stats throughout the season, which I think that they will do, like that turns your defense from 
really bad into all right, not bad, like mediocre, middle of the road. And uh, I think, Matt, you said this earlier, like if, if they have an okay defense, medium defense, like that offense, I don't think we have any question marks about them. The only one would be if Knicks gets hurt and God willing he doesn't so we can all make more money and go to these games. But that's the only question mark there. And I, I think that, you know, they're going to put up almost 40 points a night, but yeah, it just depends what the defense does. If Oregon averaged one more, just one more sack from last year's total, they would have finished fifth um, in the back yeah. club and sacks. And if it's, they would have averaged one or two more, or two more, it would have been leading the league. So it's really two neat. more is a lot, but yeah. like the, the point is, is that it's just not a lot of small small steps lead to a big jump, and they're they're close. They just have to now do it, and that's probably the big question mark we have for this defense. Is now I need to execute. Got the talent. Execute. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap up the mailbag. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Ots and Audible's podcast. Uh, three questions in, two more to go. All right, fourth one from a frequent question asker, Duck for Quacks, who asks, which non-projected starter will have the most touchdowns? Wasn't sure if that was a season or a Portland State question specifically. Um, let's do season. Let's do season. I think that's probably, yeah, let's do that. Um, I think there's a really obvious answer here that maybe I'll just knock out and then we can do the rest. Like, no, Whittington or Jordan James aren't projected yeah. to be starters, and those guys run for a lot of touchdowns. And last year each had, I think, well, Noah and, and Jordan both had five rushing touchdowns. I, Noah for sure had at least one or two receiving touchdowns. So um, Noah Whittington would probably be the easy pick here. I would guess he would probably finish close to double figures in touchdowns. But taking him off the board since that's such an easy one, I think, um, it's kind of tough, right? I mean, you're looking at guys who are potentially yeah. at receiver. Um, you're looking at maybe a backup tight end. Like, a, does Kenyon Sadiq become a real big passing game weapon in the back end and, and stack up some big touchdown numbers? I don't probably go there but if i was just to pick a name and i guess if we're using projected starters at receiver we're talking about franklin tez johnson and trashon holden based upon my depth chart so give me one answer give me i'm gonna say give me gary bryant that's it that's that's the answer yeah well i'll let you go ahead you can't can't rely on chris hudson to score a touchdown um what is he he's two in his entire career i think um he had like plenty seven, more out there he had, on. He had seven and a half uh, last year on the field. He should have had. 
yeah, yeah no there's there's plenty of more out there um I, I think it's just based off projected starters like Whittington is the obvious answer and then Jordan James is probably second and then Gary Bryan is is the third guy like uh, I think there's talent in Oregon's wide receiver room I just don't think that they're going to be the touchdown havers other than if there's an injury like you know Patrick Herbert I don't think is going to have as many touchdowns as Terrence Ferguson or Gary Bryant or anybody else that's a starter. So I think it's Gary Bryant um, if we're taking Noah and Jordan James out of the equation. And I don't really think that anybody's that close. Like nobody really popped into my brain. It's like, oh, maybe they'll have a good season. It's like uh, more of a depth guy. Oh, I'll go Gary Bryant. I was going to suggest Chris Hudson finally scores touchdowns uh, this season. Um, but I won't, I won't go him and I'm going to go just a pure wild card here. Um, the backup tight end that emerges behind Terrence Ferguson. Okay. Uh, last year, I know that the offenses are going to be a little bit different. The usage of the tight ends probably going to be a little bit different. So maybe the opportunities dwindle a little bit, but last year between McCormick, Matavau and Herbert, they scored a combined six touchdowns. Um, I, I think maybe that if if the opportunities go down for the tight end group, maybe the opportunities go up, though, for the second guy because he's the one that primarily plays the most out of the two or three backups that they use. So so maybe it's the backup tight end. Maybe it's Patrick Herbert, who I think mm-hmm. is probably your number two tight end right now um, behind Terrence Ferguson. So wild card for me would be Patrick Herbert. Jurian Dickey, maybe at some point. Maybe if it, if it, may if, I, if he's may up to par, we'll see. But I think no. picking a true freshman is really difficult. And I think we've tried really hard to just keep, kind of keep the true freshman hype at a at as low a level as possible. Um, I have more confidence Chris Hudson scores more touchdowns than Jurian Dickey. Ooh, I like that. I think that's probably. Probably a good bet, but I really don't know because Chris didn't score a single one last year, and he had again like nine tries where he probably could have. Yeah, I just don't think. I mean, maybe there, maybe Dicky proves me wrong week one because of the blowout scenario, but I just don't think he's going to be on the field as much as people think he is, based off of who they have. Like, why are why are you taking off Troy Franklin or Treshawn Holden or Tez Johnson or Gary Bryant? Or Chris Hudson to put in Jerry on Dickey. What what you know? The only reason right now, in my opinion, is because those five guys are tired and they need a break. And we know Will Stein has said like you know basically five guys play at the position. Yeah, five or six. The only problem here would be Matt if Dickey gets two against Portland State because he plays the whole second half and then oh hundred percent and then Troy Frank yeah. uh, Chris Hudson you have to ask him to get three over the rest of the season which feels good luck yeah doesn't seem likely um, based <laughs> upon career history but who knows maybe those maybe he'll stumble into the end zone rather than onto the turf maybe there will be there were two blocking penalties that happened last year that like just canceled out actual touchdowns maybe he'll catch a couple he dropped a few so um, who knows he had opportunity last year he just didn't always uh, didn't always get in the end zone all right final one from another familiar name from at Ross underscore Maselich. other than win what would cl- classify Oregon's week one matchup as a success? And he has a couple options in parentheses, Ty Thompson getting some reps, fresh for making an impact, et cetera. Um, two things just popped to my head, and I think they were – I guess I'll say three. But the two things that popped to my head first were 
center to quarterback exchange. I'm just mm-hmm. a little bit wary there, especially if Jackson Powers Johnson isn't playing. And if he's out for an extended period of time, that means whoever that other person is, is going to Lubbock the next week. And you have to be able to get the ball to the quarterback. Oregon fans know this better than most. They remember the uh, <laughs> Oregon TCU bowl game from 2000 and what was that? 15 or 16. Yeah. Uh, it was rough. That was, of course, the quarterback 15. also came out in that one. So there's a, quite a bit of things, but the center exchanges weren't good. So I think that's important. Um, and then, I guess maybe I'm taking Jared's answer, but like hopefully the punting is fine. And hope, I mean, I guess hopefully they don't have to punt hardly at all. But if they yeah. do have to punt and they do have special team situations, let's hope those are like executed well. There's a level of hang time on the kicks, especially the punts. But those are the two things that kind of popped into my mind that are small details that maybe get overlooked. Is like I, I'm still want to see if like you know if if, they, if the center can get the quarterback the ball every single time with accuracy. Let Bo get into a rhythm. And then if they are forced, I mean, hope they're, I would imagine they're not going to punt very much, period. And their goal probably is to not punt at all. But if they do have to punt, I'm hoping Luke Dunn goes out there and, and shows us what he's shown all, all fall, which is he can boot the heck out of that ball. And it's not one of those catastrophic reps that sometimes kind of gets mixed in there. Yeah, punting was definitely on my list just for the same reasons. Like, it'll be the first time. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm projecting Luke Dunn to be the starter, so it'll be the first time Luke gets into a, a college football game with fans. I know they're they're friendly fans, but it's still noise. It's still yeah. the pressure of performing in Autzen Stadium, even though it's against Portland State. Like that was a big thing. Um health just coming out of the game without any injuries. Uh like you know, some dings always are gonna happen in a football game. It's a violent sport, but you know, no major injuries to anybody of your your starting cast. Um just seeing the defense uh, fly, like just kind of move east to west, just hats on or helmet helmet to ball, like seeing gang tackles, like everybody getting around the edges, um, seeing the defensive line put some pressure on the quarterback. Um, and then lastly, just, you know, hopefully seeing the offensive line, whoever are the, the five starters, just be in sync. Just if there's a, you know, if there's a blocking play to the left, if you need guys, guards pulling, like everybody pulls, hits their guy, hits their assignment, like just to see some cohesion in this new unit that we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, just, I just want to see them all work together on a field for, for the first time really. And, and see them go hit other people that aren't on the university of Oregon football team. Um, I think those are just the the main couple things I'm looking for. I, I think there's an obvious one that we've all completely overlooked. Mm, and yes. that's that's injuries. Yeah, I was just come, come out of this come out of this game without any major injuries because I said that Jared did say that. Yeah, did you? Yeah, I said health. Okay, okay. No. I thought you were talking about like the guys. Like pay attention, Matt. Were, come on, I was paying attention. But <laughs> I clearly not. About PG, JPJ, like, <laughs> he's already going. Oh, injured. Should, Are we going to yeah, learn yeah, that he's healthy yeah, or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, that would be one for me. Penalties would be the other one. You've got to play clean. You've, you've got to play clean football. Um, and then turnovers. Like, basically the stuff that, like, control the things you can control. Pre-snap penalties. Um, you can't have those. You can't turn the football over. Um, I'd be concerned if they don't create any turnovers um, yeah. in, in this game. Um, I'd be concerned if they don't generate kind of a pass rush, um, QB hurries type type of a deal. Uh, but you want to play clean, so that's limit the penalties, especially the pre-snap ones. You can be okay if there's a 
pass interference call down, you know, on a deep shot. Like you can live with that. You can't live with, you know, a face mask or you can't live with a, a false start. Like those are things that you just, you, you can't commit. Um, roughing the quarterback, you can't commit those. So it's, it's help, get out of there healthy. Um, limit the penalties, especially the pre-snap ones. Uh, and then turnovers. Don't don't commit any, and, and you better force them. One more that ties into both your penalty and health thing kind of is uh, let's not have a second-half targeting call where a guy can't play the, the, the subsequent <laughs> yes. week because yeah. that feels be like nice. that happens a lot and in a game. And I should say you're hoping key players aren't on the field to make targeting calls in the second half where they'd be suspended for the following week. But if they are, let's just avoid those because – those are no fun for anybody, even though sometimes we disagree with them. And then Dan has to talk about how he disagrees with them or doesn't agree with them. But we'll see what happens. I, I think that's another one that is just uh, that's one of the more frustrating parts of the game, even though I totally understand the concept behind player safety and all that. Obviously, I think that needs to be at a premium. Um, concussions stink. We see that in the NFL. We see that in college football all the time. We don't want players to have them. Neck injuries, anything like that. All those things stink. Um it also sucks when a player makes a hit that is not malicious and then doesn't get a play a first two quarters of the following week. And in this case, which would be a much better opponent. So that's another one that I just kind of popped in my head there. That's such a stupid hey. rule. <laughs> well, I get it, but some of those, it's, it's one of those, we really get dumb. it, but nobody likes it. Time to things. No. And yeah. Like leaning with the crown of your helmet and hitting a guy like in the chest. Like if it's him with the helmet, I get it, hundred percent. Like, yeah, you got to get that out of football if you can. But some of the the interpretations are are very silly. I was gonna yeah. say I, uh, a selfish one for me, just going back to the game real quick. Um, I'm just excited to see who lines up where. Yes, there you go. Because that's be a win. I'm, like on the defense, like there's a lot of question marks that I have. But that's all I got. Question marks as in like you're just curious who plays where, not that you're concerned about the defense well yeah more more so about who lines up where because at portland state i'm not concerned about oregon's defense going but sure yeah like you said matt like you know get a pass rush do some things um i just want to see like who's repping at star who's repping at free or boundary safety um oh, what's yeah, the yeah. defensive line rotation look like for at least the first half because the game will at least be competitive there um but that's th those are more of a selfish thing for me um would we be disappointed if the starters are playing in the fourth quarter of this game? Like, if they take, yes, with like five minutes to go in the game, starters are in the game, that's bad, yes. But like 12 minutes or more left to go in the fourth quarter and the starters are in. Are we concerned? Yeah, I mean, Portland State was really bad last year. Um, I don't, we'll get into more Portland State prep. Um, but like, I'm just looking through, they were four and seven last year and they lost mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, five, five games by more than 40 points in FCS yep. football. Um, like they lost to, they lost to Weber state by 35, uh, yeah, 42, sorry, 35 points in that one. Um, they lost to Idaho by 35 points. They lost to Sacramento state by 38 points. Like you run through that. That's like pretty abysmal stuff. So yeah, defense or the, uh, yeah, the starters, you hope aren't on the field. And I think based upon what we've seen from Dan so far, like they kind of have a quicker trigger at times, like against member BYU randomly bowed in yeah, the second they half. Them that, quick. Yeah. That didn't play out fantastic. They had to put him back out there, but I, 
think that I, you know, Dan will never say this because he wants to respect the opponent, but I would think they would be really kind of bummed out if they have to play their, their starters in the fourth. Cause this game really should be a, the Oregon should <laughs> win by a lot of points here. This is not a, this is not a good FCS team. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if certain units stay on the field for longer periods of the second half, like the offensive line, just to get some That's more fair. chemistry. Maybe some of the secondary members play a little bit more to get some chemistry. Cause again, it's the first game of the year. And I know some of these guys came in uh, just for fall camp. Like a lot of them were here during the spring as well, but for the guys that just got here for fall camp, maybe get them some more chemistry, some more experience at the power five level if they don't have it. Um, but yeah, if they're if the starters all twenty two of them on offense and defense, like if those guys are still in in the fourth quarter, um, yeah, that would be rather concerning, both from a score perspective because it's probably a close game in that case, and just from a personnel decision making like point of view from from Dan, like uh, I don't I don't know why they would need to be out there because it should be like Eric said, this should be like a fifty point blowout. I mean, Washington, uh, Washington beat Portland State 52 to 6 last year early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Last time Oregon played them, 2018, Oregon won 62 to 14. Um, yeah, it should be about and it. I think if I remember right, I think that was a game where like the offense wasn't really even clicking that well. Like there were yeah. some points where like the things just, the offense just was not in, couldn't get out of first gear and they still scored 62 points. Um, and then they played again in 2010 and won 69 to nothing. So uh, these games are not competitive. The most that they've ever scored against Oregon came in 94 when they scored 16. Um, it's good. It's good. Here we go. Real quick. Mm. Do they score more mm. than 16 points in this game? That would be disappointing considering the defensive part, right? And then I just yeah, ran yeah. through the fact that, like, last year their offense didn't score more than 16, like, one, two, three, four, five times. Uh, against and four of those were against FCS teams. So, yeah, I, I hope they score fewer than that. My answer is no. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they got like a garbage time touchdown to put it push it to like seventeen or something like that. But uh, I think as long as the number ones are in for Oregon's defense, I think it's going to be a, a very difficult half for Portland State's offense to get and, anything going. And honestly, Oregon's twos and threes. Should be should do the job better than Portland State's top unit, or like at least the twos should be better. I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to be overly disrespectful, but just from a talent and personnel perspective, like this is one of the things I like about Oregon. Back to the earlier question about you know kind of their standing is they do have depth. They do have a lot of really good players. There are right. four star players who would be among the best players on Portland State's team who are not even first or second unit players at Oregon. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I. I think they should be able to hold them down, but we'll see. That would be to, to, I guess, to finish the question. That would make the weekend not a success if, like, Portland yes. State scores twenty-one points. Even that sounds crazy, but that would be concerning to me. Unless they're all defensive touchdowns or something weird happens, but like, if they have three sustained scoring drives for touchdowns, that's that's bad. That's bad. All right, it's gonna do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back tomorrow, recapping and looking ahead. Recapping Dan Lanning's Monday night press conference and also looking ahead to Portland State. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.